Please open your Bibles to John chapter 6. Last time we finished up with verse 51 and we talked about Jesus being the living bread, the bread which came down from heaven and gives us life, eternal life. We have seen in this chapter that many people have been following him. The problem was that they were following him, as we've talked about, for the wrong reason. They wanted physical bread. They wanted Jesus to be the king of their personal satisfaction, a, a, uh, a political king of sorts, the God of their bellies. Jesus, however, was not at all speaking to them about physical things. He was speaking to them about spiritual things, the internal and not the external. And just to jog our memories uh, a little bit here, let's read verse 51 again of John chapter 6. It says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So Jesus is very plainly here speaking about the fact that his death on the cross will give to anyone that believes on him eternal life. Do you see that? I am the living bread, he said, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So the death of Jesus Christ on the cross will give to anyone that believes on him eternal life. And then continuing on in our study, verse 52 says, The Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So, there is some confusion now amongst the Jews here. They are looking at what Jesus is saying through their natural eyes. If you remember, when we studied John chapter 3, we saw how Nicodemus had a difficult time understanding the Lord when the Lord told him that he must be born again. But as followers of God, we must realize that we are to be spiritually minded people. We cannot look to the natural and expect to find the spiritual. But Jesus continues on here, verse 53, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Wow. Now, in all fairness to this crowd of people that were following Jesus, this had to be a very hard thing to grasp. There has never been a teacher on the face of the earth like Jesus, and these people can only understand things that they can grasp with their minds. And this had to sound crazy to them. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood? What kind of cult is this? You know, who knows what was going through their minds? What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is either speaking to these people about something that is completely freaky, or it's spiritual. 
But these people are trying to receive it intellectually. And I really believe that if I were there at that time and listening to Jesus, this would have tripped me out too. I probably would have been thinking that this guy was a lunatic. He wants me to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But Jesus wasn't speaking to them about the physical. Okay, He was talking to them about things much deeper. And I believe that many times you and I can miss what Jesus is speaking into our lives because we are so focused on the physical and not the spiritual. The Lord is far more concerned about who we are internally than who we are externally. The woman at the well, she knew the Bible stories, remember? But she needed the living water that Jesus provides. This group that that Jesus is now speaking to here in chapter 6, they knew how God provided manna from heaven, like we studied last week, but they needed their spiritual hunger satisfied by coming to know Jesus. But you know, it's so easy to be focused on the external, and it, it can be hard sometimes to see the spiritual. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book in your New Testament. It's to the left of where we are right now. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to uh, look down at verse 3. What's happening here is Jesus is uh, giving what we know of as the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know, for you and I today, as modern day Christians, a statement like that can be hard to understand. The concept of being poor in spirit is foreign to us in many ways. You see, we live in a time where we are encouraged to be all that we can be, strive to be the best, whatever your mind can conceive that you can achieve. We are constantly looking to the external to judge how we are faring in this life. One of the best-selling books amongst Christian authors is called uh, Your Best Life Now. But you know, that philosophy is not in line with the truth of the Scriptures when you read the truth of the Scriptures in their context. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 17. Philippians 3, 17. It says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So, Those who set their minds on earthly things have an end that is destruction. And they are called enemies of the cross. You see, because they don't want to come to that place where they die to themselves. They take up the cross. And it's no longer about them. It's no longer about your best life now. 
It's not about get all you can get, achieve, be as happy as you can, and you know, amass all that you can. No, it's not about that. You see, this place isn't our home. Our best life is yet to come. We are just passing through. Continuing on there in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 goes on to say, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to himself. So you see, this life we're now living and this body that we're now indwelling is a lowly body. There's a better one yet to come. There's a whole better life yet to come, a whole different time after this. Why should we set our minds on the things of this earth when heaven is our home? Why should we strive to, to have all we can, be all we can here? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you see, that can be contrary to what the rest of the world is telling us right now. And in many ways, it's contrary to what many churches are, are preaching out there. But the thing that Jesus is teaching these Jews, turning back to John chapter 6, are spiritual things. And today you and I must realize that for now we dwell in a lowly body. But the day is coming when our born-again spirit will leave these lowly bodies and we will receive new bodies that will live forever. And the Lord desires that we would be spiritually minded people and not carnally minded people. Now, let me just elaborate on something here. Kind of, um, I know I had you turn back to John chapter 6, but when we just read Philippians chapter 3 verse 19, it says that they set their mind on earthly things. That phrase in the original Greek means to seek one's interest or advantage. So, all of us have things to do here in this world, right? We have to take care of things like paying our bills, raising our children, etc. But what is being communicated in those verses is that we are not to live um, this life like it's our permanent place of residence and, and seek only our own interest and our own advantage, being spiritually minded means that from a foundational standpoint, our lives, or excuse me, our lives are lived in a manner that expresses where we are going rather than where we are presently. So just kind of be careful with, with um, you know, the things that you read and the things that you, that you hear. Measure it up to the Word of God. You see, because the mindset of this world is totally contrary to the mindset of the Word of God. The world says, don't be poor in spirit. Rise to a higher self. Practice self-affirmation and positive uh, confirmation. Step on the next guy as long as you get yours. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is that being poor in spirit is totally contrary to our carnal minds, every one of us. And that is why the scriptures instruct us 
to be spiritually minded people. And the only place we get that, and there's a lot of great books out there uh, written by great authors, you know, but the only place that we can truly get spiritually fed is from the Word of God. Okay, so the bottom line here is don't put your mind on the things of this world, be they, you know, books or whatever they may be. Fix your eyes on Jesus because the things of this world will all pass away someday. And if we're not careful, the cares of this world will choke out everything spiritual in our lives and we'll end up being carnally minded people. You know, speaking of books, there's a a book uh, written by an author named A.W. Tozer. And the book is called The Pursuit of God. And I don't normally like to quote from man-written books. I like to keep us focused right on uh, the Word of God as we go through these teachings. But in that book, you know, he talks about something very interesting. He talks about the blessedness of possessing nothing. And uh, I want to read to you uh, just a couple of paragraphs from that book. He said, Before the Lord God made man upon the earth... He first prepared for him by creating a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and delight. In the Genesis account of the creation, these are simply called things. They were made for man's uses, but they were meant always to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of the man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God, without a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. But sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God a potential source of ruin to the soul. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But there, in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight amongst themselves for first place on the throne. This is not a mere metaphor, but an accurate analysis of our real spiritual trouble. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and a fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could do. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. Now, that's pretty deep. 
But I really do believe that A.W. Tozer hit it right on the head with those words. The carnal things of this world, in many ways, have kept us from being spiritually minded. And Jesus came to the earth to accomplish the spiritual. He didn't come to redeem man from physical hunger and thirst. He came to redeem man from a much greater ailment. It was a disease that kept us from a relationship with God. The disease was sin, and Jesus has set us free from the curse of sin and death, and He does not want our hearts to be dominated by the things of this world. He wants to take His rightful place back on the throne of our hearts. He wants us to be humble, poor in spirit. But just as these people that Jesus was speaking to in John chapter 6 were, they were confused by his words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, we too will not have an understanding of his word if we are not spiritually minded. You know, let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, to the right of the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at down at verse 13. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see, we cannot interpret the spiritual with our carnal minds. God, through his word, desires to speak to us spiritually, and we must compare spiritual things with spiritual things. In other words, we must internalize the words of scriptures. They must be words that we hide in our hearts. We cannot take the word of God and make it something that we receive intellectually. It will be foolishness to our minds and we will not be able to discern it. Hebrews 4:12 tells us that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, the word goes much deeper than our carnal minds can comprehend. We should not be seeking the Lord for an intellectual, a physical, or an emotional experience. That is why it is important for us to become students of the Word of God that are rightly dividing the Word of God, studying it and rightly dividing it. You see, when we do that, the Word of God then becomes hidden in our hearts and we find ourselves, we end up being doers of the Word and not just forgetful hearers. Okay, so now back in John chapter 6, These people were not getting what Jesus was teaching them, 
And many who called themselves disciples of Jesus were having a very hard time with what he was saying. And verse 59 goes on to say, These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So, Jesus is saying to them here, If these words offend you, how are you going to feel when I die on the cross and I ascend into heaven? You see, Jesus was not always going to be there in the flesh. And he's pointing out to them that the flesh profits nothing and that his words are spirit and life. You see, he's not here in the flesh today for you and I, but his word is, and his word is spirit and life. Do you see that? And you and I must understand this fact as Christians on the earth today. His words are life to our spirit. His word is not for the profit of our flesh. But many today are trying to take the word of God and and make it where they can gain in the flesh. But you see, Jesus makes it very plain here that he is talking to these people about spiritual things and the flesh profits nothing. You see, Jesus is far more concerned with you and me prospering in our souls than he is with us prospering physically on this earth. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul, right? It says in Mark. And we talked about last time examining ourselves, right? To see if we are in the faith. And you know, one test that we can give ourselves to ask ourselves some questions, if we're in the faith or not, questions like, do I pray more for my spiritual growth than I do for my physical well-being? Do I seek the prosperity of my soul more than the prosperity of my flesh? Is my mind on my bank account more than it is on the Word of God? Am I more spiritually minded or carnally minded? These are tough questions. I have to admit, they're tough questions as I read them. Here in my notes, I'm looking, I'm saying, that's tough questions for me. But you know, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we must be ready to fight the fight of faith and stay the course no matter how tough the battle may be. The words that Jesus speaks are spirit and life. The flesh profits nothing. As we study these verses, we're seeing that some of the disciples of Jesus are really being tested by what the Lord is saying to them. Do they really want to follow him now that they know he's not going to keep on daily producing bread and fish for them? But you know, that's the way it was then and unfortunately All too often, it's the way it is now. But it comes as no surprise to God. You know, in 2 Timothy 4.3, God's word says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. It's an unfortunate thing. But we just need to be careful 
that it doesn't describe us. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 64 of John chapter 6, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Wow, that's sad, isn't it? You see, they were thinking Jesus was going to be their personal chef, their finan—excuse me, financial guru or their personal assistant. They thought he was going to make their physical lives far easier. They had painted Jesus into the picture of their dreams. They could have had boats, stocked pantries, and new fishing nets and still been all right with God. But he wasn't going to be that in their, li- in their lives. So they walked away from him. You know, it's kind of funny here that this is chapter 6, verse 66. 666. Satan's goal is to get people to walk away from Jesus. Avoid him altogether or discourage the ones already committed to him. That's what Satan wants to do. And if he can't get you to walk away from him, he at least wants you focused on him for the wrong reasons. But you know, the word of God brings it to us straight, doesn't it? It tells us the truth. And that's why we need to be in the word of God, studying the word of God. Jesus goes on to say in verse 67, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? You know, this question by Jesus is really a challenging question as well. The difference, though, for the twelve, I believe, is that they were following Jesus more closely than the others. They spent all their time with him. They were more focused on him. And, you know, that should be where you and I are in our walks with the Lord. Not expecting him to be the God of our desires, not expecting him to be the God of our personal satisfaction, but realizing that his word is spirit and life and realizing that it is in him that we live and move and have our being. When we are following him closely and are not consumed with the things of this world, we will, we will be able to say in our hearts the same thing that Peter says in verse 68. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Peter spent lots of time with Jesus, and he knew in his heart who Jesus really was. And for you and I today, we must come to that place of really understanding who Jesus is and what his desire is for our lives. And the only way we can truly know him is to seek him with all of our hearts, study his word, seek him in prayer, and then take time to tell others about him as well. Tell, tell others of what Jesus has done for you. You know, not everyone is following Jesus for the right reasons. Many are following Jesus for prosperity. Many walk away from him when he doesn't meet their needs in a way that is pleasing to them. Jesus had all kinds of followers, but he desires to change people from the inside out. 
These people that were following Jesus here in chapter 6 wanted their lives to be simpler and their paths to be smoother. This, however, wasn't why Jesus came. And the road ahead of Jesus was certainly not going to be smooth. The cross lies ahead for him. And the sad thing was that one of his close followers was going to betray him. And Jesus goes on in verse 70 to say, Jesus answered and said to them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. What a contrast, though, we see here between Peter and Judas. One says, I have nowhere else to go. You are the son of God. And right alongside of him was Judas. And it brings up a question. Where are you today in your loyalty to Christ? Do you realize that he is the son of God and that you have nowhere else to turn? If the bank account runs completely dry, do you turn away from him and get upset that he's not providing for you in the way you expect? I really encourage you again this week to spend some time seeking the Lord as to where you are spiritually. If Jesus said that the poor in spirit are the blessed ones, are you a blessed one? Are you poor in spirit with your eyes toward heaven, or are you focused on the things that are here and now, and you're depressed because things aren't the way you want them? You see, what's the real reason that you're following Jesus? Is it because he can provide fish and bread every day for you? Or do you truly desire to die to yourself, take up the cross and follow after him? I'd like us to close out here by reading Matthew chapter 6, a portion of it anyway. So go ahead and turn there, first book in the New Testament again, Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look down at verse 25, and we'll begin reading there. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus speaking says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Is that where your focus is? Are you seeking 
first. In other words, in your list of priorities, if you prioritize your life, is the kingdom of God first. We're going to stop and leave it at that. God bless, guys. Thanks for listening.